take two middle-aged men who happen to be cousins and share a common codependency on movies, put them in a room, and tell them to talk about anything film-related. The result? An existential exposition of cinematic synergy we call The Finleys on Film. Beautiful. All right, we're um, we're here in the Greater Los Angeles area and the Calabasas area it's greater, specifically. It's a, yeah, it's Greater Los Angeles. Everything's area. great it's about been this area, a nice Tommy. Day. We've had a heck of a, a heck of a travel to get here. We've traveled several miles, several hours to be here with Harry Northup, the great Harry Northup, who um, mm-hmm. you'll recognize as someone who has appeared in numerous Martin Scorsese films. You might also recognize him as, um, and we didn't talk about this earlier, Mr. Northup, um, a great poet oh, in his you. own right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, and thank you very much. Married to <laughs> another great poet, Holly Prado. Thank you. <laughs> Don't be too modest here, Harry. Yeah, well, listen, I'm also a poet, so I know what a difficult game that is, yeah. right? I have the one book out there that 22 people have read, so yeah. I understand the game that poetry is, right? It's, it humbles it's... you. I was interviewed one time, the guy said, what have you learned from poetry? And I said, well, I, my a quest was wisdom, and I learned humility. Oh, yeah, for sure, right? And there's also the other job, right? So actors in, in Los Angeles are really waiters and waitresses. And in my field, if you're a poet, oftentimes you're a teacher, which I am, right? You've got to make a real living. Right. Tom here is a stand-up comic. I'm a comic. stand-up comic, yeah, which, which means, means we're, also. Mostly just, we're just mostly waiters and waitresses. <laughs> we can afford appetizers, is yeah, what we're yeah, saying. Well, yeah. no, we can afford to look at them frequently. So. Yeah, but it's, it's almost the same thing. It's good to be down here with you. And, and you know, we're doing this episode on, on, on Martin Scorsese. We thought you'd be a great person to talk to because you, you've appeared in, in several of his films. And we reviewed a couple of them yesterday. Yeah. And I have to say, you know, uh, we, we looked at uh, Mean Streets. We looked at Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, and of course, we didn't need to look at Taxi Driver, having seen that right. so many times. But, Just watching um, those two, I mean, could we have watched two more different movies? Well, there's that, right? There's yeah. the fact that they're so different, but also, like, what an education, because with Scorsese, at least for me, you, you think that you know Scorsese because you've seen those films several times, and so you walk around with this idea. But I was struck, you know, maybe we should start talking, and maybe we should stop talking and let Mr. Northup talk in a second oh, yeah. here, but... but um, Starting chronologically with 1973's Mean Streets, what a blueprint that movie is for other Scorsese films. So we're talking about like oh, the, yeah. the Scorsese who does these amazing tracking shots, you know, famously in Goodfellas through the, mm. the bottom of the Copacabana. Age of Innocence. I mean, like he uses the, the tracking shot as like a Scorsese thing. And his transitions from... And this movie starts with it, as I recall. Right. With a beautiful Scorsese long tracking shot. It does. You want to stay on mic a little bit oh, more? Sorry, so we don't yeah. want to miss your magic, that's for well, sure. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so we're all... You can tell that we're all hopped up to, to, to talk to Mr. Northup, but how are you? Let's just start there, sir. Well, I'm good, and I'm glad you brought up Mean Streets and Alice because they're totally, as you said, two different ways. And Kent Wakeford was a cinematographer on both of those. And he told me that he used to be a uh, commercial maker and then Scorsese hired him. And he met Scorsese for the first time on a street in Beverly Hills and Scorsese said, if I don't like what I see on the screen, I'm going to fire you. And then he said, after he shot Mean Street, nobody wanted to hire him for... uh, Commercials? Commercials. Ah. And so that does have that penetrating handheld camera. I mean, it was shot, what, in about 18 days and very dark. Wait, wait, wait. Mean Streets was shot in 18 days? It was shot in 18 That's days. That's news to me. And a lot wow. of it was shot here in L.A. You know, like the scene I did was shot at Westlake and 6th in the downtown bar. And it was, I think the hotel was in the Biltmore. Yeah. Obviously, the exteriors were in in uh, New York City. Right. Yeah, but you have all those interior shots of the bar and the, yeah. right, with the tiger and everything else. So wait, wait, you're saying that, that um, 
the, wow. they didn't want to hire him again because this film was so gritty that he couldn't he couldn't it, he he sort of like cross-purposed himself in that sense, right? Yeah. And then you look at Alice, and that to me is a film. It's like a shimmering dreams, yeah. yeah. And it just shimmers sometimes. You look at the light in Phoenix mm -hmm. or wherever it was, yeah, yeah. And uh, so they're totally two different. And the other thing, if you look at Scorsese's first film, which was uh, enlarged after college, he made a feature out of Who's That Knocking at My Door, yep. mm -hmm. and that had the same ambiance as uh, Mean Streets. You know the uh, neighborhood of the Italians. And also, you know, uh, the the young guys hanging around with not much to do. It didn't really have much of a story, but Roger Ebert gave that a great re review in the Chicago uh, Sun-Times, I believe it was 1967. Yeah. But uh, anyway, the one thing is, the uh, Cassavetes one told me, ah, you, yes. when he saw Scorsese's Who's That Knocking My Door? He said, when you see a filmmaker's first film, you can see the themes that that person's going to plow. Right, right. And you see that in Mean Streets, the authenticity of the ambiance and how good he was with the actors. Well, the, Scorsese, we're sitting, the Scorsese New York. We're, we're sitting there um, um, watching Mean Streets and, and, and noting, like, you know, obviously there's so much that somebody like uh, Tarantino has cribbed off of Scorsese. And, and God bless him. I mean, we love a, a lot of the stuff that, that Tarantino does. But who did, who did um, Scorsese, you know, pay homage to or borrow from? And one of my first thoughts watching Mean Streets was uh, one that we've covered before, and that's Cassavetti's Shadows. Exactly. The experimental film of, like, 1959, 1960. And it has that sort of, like, obviously rough and tumble, but when you say that it was done in 18 days, I kind of believe it because there's a frenetic expertise, right? Yeah. There's this guy yeah. Scorsese coming in with his camera and he's doing these sort of like tracking shots and, long, and that, that classic 70s thing where, where there's a close-up across the street and then it's brought right to the forefront immediately, like mm -hmm. in an exaggerated sense. Um, and I thought, yeah, Cassavetes would probably be a, a forerunner for Scorsese in that sense, right? He, he was. I think Scorsese once noted that Cassavetes from taking the camera, you know, it used to be the big equipment and then the 16 millimeter uh -huh. take it out on the streets yep. and then all also the grandeur of Orson Welles, ah, yes. you know, that grand, yeah. uh, so those two I know were influences on him, and you know, he's just a movie historian, yeah. too, so he knows mm -hmm. all the shots uh, that, you know, you see in other films. Yeah. Well, so so one of the things. Okay, so let's 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 back up. So if we're talking about Mean Streets first, so we're talking about it's not Scorsese's first film by any means, but it's the one that kind of broke through, right? Um, so we're also talking about Keitel was in and Who's That Knocking, but but this is you know starring Keitel. A lot of people associate it with De Niro because De Niro, I think, became a bigger star than than um, Keitel. Um, Tommy was was suggesting that this might have been. De Niro's best. I think acting it's some job. of the best acting I've, I've ever seen De Niro do because because it's it's also I mean it's a new it's a brand new De Niro it's a De Niro that doesn't have a De Niro to play to you know other roles that he's played that that sort of become iconic for him I think it's just because he was doing kind of a low he was doing a low status character he was he was able to really sort of get into that and I, I thought it was amazing I think it's some of the best acting I've ever seen De Niro do and it's Robert De Niro. Well, you know, in 1973. Uh, mean Streets opened the New York Film Festival and that same year, as you probably remember, Bang the Drum Slowly yep. mm -hmm. with De Niro came out. So you have two totally different types mm. of films. Yep. And those two were, and then I would say also Taxi Driver and Godfather 2 were in that period when he's very right. lean yep. and hungry. Yes. And then the other thing, you know, just talking about the actors, okay, you have 
What's interesting, everybody thinks, okay, these are all uh, Italian guys. Okay, Scorsese grew up in Little Italy, then his family moved to Queens, then he came back to Elizabeth Street. And then you have Harvey Keitel, Jewish, then you have De Niro, uh, Irish and Italian, you have mm -hmm. uh, Robert, uh, Richard Romanus, Lebanese, David Proval, Jewish. So they all, uh, you know, were perfect for the roles. And then the other thing, not only the, uh, what Scorsese always used too was compression. Yeah. You know, he'd mm -hmm. compress things, and then you would have also, like, the violence. You know, Pauline Kael once said that uh, Scorsese puts things together and then lets them burst of their own volition, let them simmer there, and then they just burst out of their own volition. That's interesting. Who okay. were we talking about recently? We were talking about some Steve McQueen movies, and then particularly The Getaway in 72, and how I, I feel, I, I love The Getaway, and yet while I love The Getaway, I feel it's a little like baseball. Lots of waiting around. Well, while not much happens, it's almost sort of interesting by virtue of its own like boring landscape, and then bam, like something huge right. happens, the hotel scene in the end and so forth, and so Scorsese definitely has that quality to it. And the other thing about Mean Streets is the clothes that people wore, uh -huh. yeah. and Scorsese would take them down to a particular place in that area where we grew up and buy that particular thing in colors too. Yeah. You always remember the colors of, of the clothes that he wears and all that, or mm -hmm. of the characters, what mm -hmm. they wear. Well, I was a little kid, and, and one thing I, when I was a little kid back in the 70s, and the one thing I noticed about both of these movies, you know, particularly Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, is how comfortable I felt. And like, it was like, he, he like somehow visually captured the 70s for me. In the in the in the in the look and the feel of the clothing, but also how like you could just sort of feel a little bit of grittiness coming off the upholstery of a car as it's driving down the road, you know. So I don't know how he did that, but I mean, his the the, the camera work is very is impeccable, I think. And also in Mean Streets, he would use you know needle drops, uh -huh. you know, and, and he would use the music from like Italian oh, music yeah. or yes, popular yes. music, mm -hmm. opera, Motown. And, yeah, yeah. Well, even in Alice, you you know, Mat Mata Hoople. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a great. I love the musical choices in both movies because that's another Scorsese thing also. And one thing that he pointed out recently, they've been doing a thing of him on TCM, and he talked about how he didn't really look at those films as nostalgia, but he just got the immediate thing so much mm -hmm. that that's what, it's still alive today. Yeah. 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 Well, that's really interesting because that way, you know, capturing the immediacy of the moment, what he does is play to nostalgia going forward. That is interesting, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. so, so, I mean, so Mean Streets, I mean, it's a classic sort of, again, I would almost say blueprint because it has like, um, there are elements of it, even plot-wise, that have a sort of the same arc that something like Goodfellas has 17 years later, right? right. So, you know, by the time Goodfellas comes around, what I imagine is you have a Scorsese that has all of the resources to do what he was trying to do in Mean Streets and was successful at doing in Mean Streets but you know, didn't have the full sort of Hollywood sort of landscape behind him. And yet one of the things that Tom and I were talking about was how incredible it is that he had access. How did in 1973 Scorsese, a young Scorsese, have access to all of that music? And I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a, a production task itself, right? right. Well, you know, I, I knew a guy who was friends with Phil Spector, and he said that, uh, you know, that held him up a lot with, like, getting Be My Baby and all that, some of those mm -hmm. things, Warner Brothers. Yeah. But I remember a friend of mine was watching Mean Streets at the Pantages here in L.A. when it first came out, and when that song came out, he yelled out from the back, turn it up, as loud as he could. <laughs> but here's another thing. See, Mean yeah. Streets was uh, authentic to Scorsese, and the guy who wrote Wise Guy, Henry Hill, 
the book, the oh, yeah, Goodfellas yeah, yeah. was based on. Mm-hmm. He when he saw Mean Streets, he said, "That's us." Yeah. Meaning that's the guys. And yeah. then, as you know, uh, Scorsese always said that God, uh, Godfather was the uh, God was a gangster <coughs> epic, and Mean Streets was its lyric. Mm-hmm. And then you have Goodfellas. Wait, I'm sorry. Can you say that again? Godfather was the epic, and Mean Street was the lyric. Yeah. Beautiful. And and yeah. then and then you have Goodfellas was the first time that you saw a guy start at the bottom and work all the way up. Yes. With, you know Henry Hill. Right. 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 Yeah, well, I mean, I was sort of impressed also, by the way, with, with how they played with in Mean Streets with um, the humanness of these characters. In, in all the ways, their frailties, obviously, but also that it's like, you know, ripping these two kids off for $20 who want to buy fireworks down near Chinatown. And it's like, it's a lark for them. Like, hey, let's go to the movies. We, you know, it's like old school. It's like we're kids again ripping someone off for $20. Yeah. I love this film in a way that I forgot that I loved it. Um, oh, I, I'd never seen this film. This so is I your first feeling of it. By. I was really, I, I particularly enjoyed like the authenticity of the violence in it. There was, yeah. A, yeah. There was some, there was, because a lot of violence in real life isn't that isn't that great. It isn't that effective, or you know, like that fight in the in the pool room wasn't uh, you know wasn't wasn't like very effective fighting. A lot of flailing of arms and things like that. And oh, then every yeah. once in a while, it's really effective, and that's that's just how. I don't know the authenticity. The authenticity in this movie is just crazy to me. It's well, really you know, well, Pauline well captured. Pauline Kael called it an original, and she said never had you seen such a rot in in the films. And one thing you talk about the violence, you know, when the part I played, uh, if I may speak about that for a minute, yeah, was please. in the script, all it had was, you know, welcome home, Jerry. Yep. And then he was dressed in a suit. And I told Marty, let me put on a uniform so that'll make me stand up a little bit more. Uh-huh. And then in the script, my character, you know, they show up, throw a party, and then my character falls over drunk. Yep. And I told Marty, I said, I don't want to do that. I want to take a passive character and make him active. So they were going to give me a cake, and I said, I'll destroy the cake. I'll rip up the table, and I'll attack a chick. Yeah. Okay, now these days you don't even want to use a word like a right. phrase like sure, attack a sure, chick. Sure. But anyway, this was a deranged guy coming back. Yeah. And Marty had said something one time. He said, I heard him tell an interview this. He said, violence always erupts in the background. In other words, there's poor mm. some... Poor, some poor schmuck that's seen that over there in the corner, nobody's paying attention. Right. He's the guy that's going to cause the mayhem. Right. And then so the cinematographer, Kent Wakeford, I told him, I said, Kent, there are only two cakes, so please keep me in frame. So, you know, that worked out well. And then the other thing, after that violent scene, uh, Marty cut to Harvey dancing with a girl I attack in the back room. So right. you go from the violence to the tenderness. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was going to I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to ask you how amenable Scorsese was to suggestions from his actors. He was great. And one thing that he does, he, uh, you know, he would probably say this. I mean, I, obviously I can't speak for him, but Kazan is probably the greatest guy ever to work with actors. You know, East of Eden, sure, uh, sure. On, the on the waterfront, et cetera. Yeah. But Marty is great first of all he's a genius at film he just knows film and then the other thing he hires actors people to be parts and then he allows that he goes along for the ride right so he wants them to contribute nice. so you can contribute as long as you're on the same page you know what he's talking about right mm-hmm. i wonder how, how how directors find that because you know clint eastwood is sort of famous for like i'm just there the, the less i can say the better let it happen i'll correct it if it's wrong and then of course you have like on the other extreme someone like um, hitchcock. alfred hitchcock who's controlling every and of course they're both great directors so you know, I mean, it's a rhetorical question, but I'm curious about how a director finds his sort of place in, in that moment. Well, one thing about Scorsese, as you probably know, he storyboard. 
right. every shot. Yeah. So like if you know to ta- just to shoot ahead of meant a taxi driver. There would be scenes in Taxi Driver where Doughboy, my character, would be sitting, Wizard, Peter Boyle, and then Charlie T., Norman Matlock, and then De Niro would come in. Well, Marty never rehearsed us with De Niro. He always had De Niro come in as an you know outsider, an uh-huh. alienated figure. And then if you'll also notice, like in that caption, there's like an oval. There's a space between De Niro and me, uh-huh. and or he's in the frame alone. So he would do things like that, try to create it. The reality is as close as he could. And in those days, I don't know what he does these days with all the technical improvement. He would be right down as close as he could be between the camera and listening to you. You know, so right there in the middle of sight and sound. Oh, wow. so he's trying to absorb like a, a realistic <laughs> sense of either one. I was and using like, blocking to create isolation there. Wow. We'll, we'll get to taxi driver in a second, but just to sort of jump ahead and, and tag on on your observation as, as a, uh, a layman here, I always felt like um, some of the shots were like a, a Diane Arbus like photograph or something. They're so squared off and they're so sort of centered. To the, like you know, the, the balance is almost something like a painter or photographer mm-hmm. would put together. Well, years ago they did a thing where they took storyboards. And then they showed the film right next to it on a screen. Uh-huh. And they did it at Museum of Modern Art, the Academy here. And they had people, as you mentioned, they had yeah. Hitchcock, uh, Vincent Minnelli, Kurosawa. And some of those people, as you know, were artists. Yeah. But Scorsese, believe it or not, even with Hitchcock, <coughs> of all of the people, his were the closest to, uh, his, his storyboards really? were the yeah. closest to the finished wow. shot. That's okay. awesome. Yeah. That's so, he, you know, wow. he's really a he's, he's really a storyboard perfectionist. And yet one of the things that I appreciate about him, and I think you were saying a similar thing, Tom, is that um, it's very easy for a lot of people to hear the name Martin Scorsese and to feel like, oh, yeah, the guy who does all those great sort of violent gangster films. But I do. What's, one thing I love about him is he does The Last Waltz and he does a movie about like George Harrison or the Buddha or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. He's willing to sort of stretch out. And His range is amazing. This is the last time I'm going to mention Quentin Tarantino, but but as much as I love Tarantino, one of the things I don't like is I feel like, hey Tarantino, I want how about making a 19th century period piece? How about you know like stretch yourself out the way Scorsese does, and and, and he does early on in his career. He certainly doesn't have to. In 1974's Alice doesn't live here anymore. That I, we were watching that one of the first things yeah. in regarding the sort of the artistry, the, the, the telling a story by virtue of the way you use a camera and the way you use the landscape and the cinematography is that opening scene where I had forgotten about that opening scene. I thought, boy, I thought in 1954 they did away with the square format. They have, you know, that was CinemaScope, right? right? And of course it was his his technique of going back in time and telling this different story with the the red lens and Ellen Burstyn's character as a child. And what what a different, great, I don't know if sweet is the word. What, what, what modifier would you give Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore as a film? That's not a bad word, actually, I would say. Well, you know, as I said earlier, uh, a, a film about shimmering dreams almost with me. You know, like, uh, the also shot I like is when uh, the, the little boy's outside listening, hears his mother playing, yes. and he comes around the bush, and he goes into the camera, and she's playing. Yeah. And one thing, you know, when I did uh, Alice, I played Jim and Joe's bartender, yep. and I came in that day. Great and, use of a kerchief, by the way. No one's ever worn it better, sir. <laughs> Quite lovely. Well, you know, when I was a young acting student in New York, I worked as a waiter, so I understood the guy's pain, uh-huh. and I wore, I still have that same cowboy shirt, a dark blue, uh-huh. and I... I know Scorsese's into crosses and all that, so I wore one of those uh, cowboy cross uh, (laughs) ties, and I also wore boots and jeans, and I came on, and you know, Marty likes you to wear your clothes if you can. So I came in, and uh, just to go back, uh, the the preceding night, when I checked in the motel, I was walking into the 
motel area, and Marty sees me and says, come on in. So I go into his suite, and he's with his girlfriend at that time, Sandy Weintraub, and there was only one book opened in the front room, and that was a collected poems and prose of William Blake. And then he had uh, the script, so he looks at the script, and he said, we'll just keep this simple. And he said, I have shot every scene in the movie with a parable behind it. So that talks about his preparation. Right. And then right be- you know, after we rehearsed, he came up to me and he said, all right, this is a close-up, so don't move much. And then he said, I'm going to shoot this so the red lights reflect off of your blue shirt. And, you know, that type of knowledge just makes yeah. you feel so relaxed. He's got everything color- covered. And then he calls me over and on the... Uh, bar, bar. He had a New Yorker magazine, and it was he. He had it open, and it was a review of uh, Steven Spielberg's Sugarland Express, his debut. Yes. And he showed me. Where, Han, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he showed me in the review where Pauline Kael compared uh, Spielberg's debut to. Uh, Howard Hawks and Marty said, "I thought everybody would compare me to Howard Hawks." <laughs> wow! Wow! Yeah, Tom. By the way, I now I, now that I have Tom to embarrass uh, someone to embarrass him in front of Howard Hawks thinks he does not like the movie The Outlaw. Can you settle this bet for us? The Outlaw is a great movie. Jane Russell, am I correct? Say it again. The Outlaw. The Outlaw. With Jane Russell? Oh yeah. 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 All, right, all right. Well, one thing I like about it, I don't know if it's a great movie, but I love movies about Billy the Kid. Okay. Uh-huh. And uh, the one thing I liked about Jack Butel, who was a stuntman, and I and he starred in that movie, and he was a stone liar. And I thought, that's Billy the Kid. He just lied about everything. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I like that. And then obviously they you know, pushed her breasts and all that. That was Howard Hughes, right? Right. right. Well, he yeah. knew what he was doing. <laughs> so there we go. So we're agreed. Not a great movie, but... Yeah. Right. Okay, fair enough. Come right, on. So, so getting back to Alice doesn't live here anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have this... First of all, we're both in love with Ellen Burstyn. I mean, uh, she's just... We, we did an episode on Art Carney, and we did Harry and Tonto, which I think was about the same time. Every time she's in a scene... It's her scene. Yeah. I mean, she's great. She has. She almost has that W.C. Fields thing going with her in this movie, and that like outshine. A, don't be afraid to outshine a kid or a dog, right? And she right. does it really well. <laughs> um, Remember the scene where she comes home and the door's locked in the motel. Yeah. Uh-huh. Finally, the kid opens the door and she's wearing that green dress, and he sees her, and then he slams, slams the, the door, door on her. <laughs> yes. Because like, that kid is lovable, but he's a jerk too, yeah, right? Yeah, As yeah, kids yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know that movie. You had Ellen Burstyn, and then you had. Uh, oh gosh, what's the a woman costume and a woman art designer? I can't remember their names. And then I believe there was a woman editor. Uh, so Marty really gave in to the feminine on that picture, and it was really a, at the right time too. Well, it, I, I'm, yeah. at, I'm at risk yeah. saying this because I don't know what I'm talking about when I do. But I felt that um, he was he understood something about women. When I watched that film, you and know, the relationships with their children, and and the, and, and their and their other and their male, you know, their male companions as yeah. well. Well, that's it, right? That's, there's humor, there's anger, there's all these things that are all very natural, and they come out not in any way that would appear in a script, but in other, you know, like like her like outbursts at her son every once in a while. You're like, well, that's a little, that's going a little far, lady. But then you're like, oh, yeah, I kind of get it. And that's how it would have been. Like that's I remember those things. But also, it's like you know, 1974. So we're talking like heavy conversations in this country about the Equal Rights Amendment and so forth. And so it's very easy to underplay or overplay it in terms of telling the story. Yeah. And it seems like you know, it's like you have this woman, her husband dies, and she's faced with the following situation. Yes, I had a job once, 
It was a dozen years ago. It was a, being a singer at that. So lots of things are implied but not stated. Like when you marry, are you giving up your sort of access to the world, right? In all of those mm -hmm. ways. And if you had access to the world and it was something like singing, now that you're 35, have you given it up by virtue of age as a woman? And so I thought like, you know, it's like I think in a way, it's, it would be a harder film to make today because the, the requirement to be so heavy-handed might leave it ham-handed. But he, I thought he handled it. He and she, I guess, between the two of them, came across as handling it really well. Well, also in terms of, you know, feminism, at the end she does get married to the guy. Right. Yep. That solves mm -hmm. her thing, right? She doesn't strike yep. out on her own. One of my favorite shots is there's a shot of her and Diane Ladd, and you just see their faces. They're both waitresses. And then all of a sudden you think, where, where are they? On a ship somewhere, you know, on a, on a beach here? And oh, then yeah. the camera pulls way back. <laughs> and you just see they're sitting out uh, in a parking, parking lot. lot yeah. yeah, and the Tucson sun. Yeah. 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 I also forgot. Um, well, there's also, you got to remember, like, the time and the place. Like, feminism was just a new thing. So how it was treated was, I thought, kind of very honestly for the time at this point. Wait, I, I would argue that feminism wasn't a new thing, but feminism... Within the sort of scope the context of, of the, the media, or, or as happening, yeah, yeah. Hey, I'll correct you later, Tom. Don't worry. Yeah, right. All right, but but then there's also like I forgot that Jodie Foster was in this film, and and, and so that's you know he Martin Scorsese likes people and he he works with them again as you can attest, obviously. Well, I remember watching that scene with Jodie Foster and he, he the little boy comes in with your friend. You don't know if it's a boy or girl because no. her sure. hair was cut short. Yeah, yeah. And then says something like, "Where's your mom?" She says, "Oh, she's over at the Ramada and turning tricks." Turning tricks, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I worked with her, not with her, but, you know, in the same film, Mean Street, or yeah, yeah. Alice, and Taxi Driver, and then yep. uh, yeah. Silence of the Lambs. And so, uh, you know, when I left Silence of the Lambs, she said, make, let's make it a fourth time, fourth film sometime soon. But she's a fabulous actor, too. Yeah, she's uh, great. Yeah. Have yeah. you seen Hotel Artemis? No. That was last year, and it was one of my favorite films of, of last year. She, she can almost do no wrong, and she's sparing about the, the parts that she chooses, and she, she handles them all. Here's one thing I would like to just put into the mix is, you look at actor Studio, you know, uh, the group theater, actor Studio. And, uh, in my acting class, Frank Corsero, a Sicilian, Scorsese Sicilian, and in that acting class, there was Harvey Keitel. He's the one who introduced, uh, recommended me to Scorsese. And then you had Billy Bush, who was in Alice. You had Lane Smith. You had uh, uh, Ralph Wade, uh, Richard Bradford, a couple other people. But uh, in, in Scorsese's films, he's out of that class. He used Harvey, me, mm -hmm. uh, Victor Argo, Murray Mostyn, and Billy Bush. So my point, I guess, when I started out by saying... Scorsese almost is like the real actor studio director because the acting is so emotional and immediate too and, and has such uh, depth you know I mean what I mean by that is uh, to blow my own horn instead of saying not to blow my own horn yeah, do it. the Hollywood Reporter in its review of Alice it ended its review by saying the uh, acting of Harry Northup as Jim and Joe's bartender exemplifies the emotional honesty of the cast. Yes. So he he does really he really is good with actors too, right? Oh yeah. Well, I think so. I well, mean, one of my favorite one of my favorite ahead. scenes in Alice doesn't live here anymore is the uh, where she's uh, trying to, she's trying out for the piano bar that doesn't we don't have a piano. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have a piano. That's such a great. That's so funny. Yeah. We laughed out loud at that part. One thing I noticed about Scorsese and I think Woody Allen films too is that the actors. If they stumble, keep going. Because in life, we stumble as we, we speak. Yeah. I mean, we have imperfections in our speech, and those directors like that sort of naturalistic quality to, the, to their actors. Mm -hmm. Well, also, just in terms of that, 
the way Scorsese shoots, too, he edits while he's shooting. Yeah. Like in Taxi Driver, you know, as I said, there would be Boyle and me and then De Niro and then Cabby here. I remember we were shooting the first scene in Taxi Driver, which was a six-page scene. And, it, you know, so he would shoot a master, then he would shoot on these two, then he would shoot on De Niro, and then he would shoot on these. And at one time, I remember I, I said, Marty, I screwed up online. He said, don't worry about it. I got it in this coverage over here. Uh -huh. So he knows how he's going to cut the film as he's moving along, too. I noticed that. That is an education about Scorsese. Like, you can tell that he has shot masters and then shot all these scenes, so he can play around with, with right. all the different sort of perspectives. Mm -hmm. I love that about it. Well, let's talk about 1976 Taxi Driver. Oh, boy. I mean, that's, that's a film... I mean, driven, I think, differently in terms of music by this great sort of like soundtrack, this jazz soundtrack that is woven um, in and out. And, and, and a different De Niro, right? Because De Niro at this point has done, you know, Godfather 2, 74, the, um, um, sorry, Mean Streets. Um, and then a film, I'm not sure if it came before or after this, called 1900 with Gerard Depardieu. And, and it's I wish 1900 was being shot right before Taxi Driver. Hmm. And I'll tell you why I remember so distinctly. When I did, Marty called me into Columbia and he gave me the script of uh, Taxi Driver. And I remember several things he told me. He said, number one, he said, first of all, my choices for Travis were number one, De Niro, number two, Harvey, number three, you. He said, I gave it to De Niro. He said, I'd like you to play Doughboy. So he gave me the script and he said, uh, the dialogue's too direct. You know the way we like to work sideways. And he says, I'm going to turn Taxi Driver into a gothic horror story. And then finally he said, I'm going to use those garish B-50s colors. Yes. Uh -huh. And he did all that. And then just one last little thing, uh, not by Marty, but there, was a, there is a uh, critic here in L.A. called F.X. Feeney. And he grew up in New Jersey. And he said when he was a little kid, his dad would drive him into New York from uh, New Jersey. Uh, and he said... One time they were going across 42nd Street, and his father said, that's the River Styx. So he said, that he, in his mind, Taxi Driver, it's like hell. It's the best depiction yeah, of New York City yeah. he's ever seen. Well, 70s, the, 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 hell, the hell that was New York City in a way in the 1970s, right? And i got to say, there's a part of me that, we, and we were talking about this too, but there's a part of me that, like, I don't know, I kind of like to go back to the 70s just, just to experience New York in that time period. Yeah. There's no other time and place quite like that, I imagine. Well, so, go ahead, please. Well, I just wanted to mention you earlier, you just mentioned the music, Bernard Herrmann. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. Well, I was going to say about, about De Niro, here's where I disagree with you, Tom. I mean, I, I am very impressed by De Niro in Mean Streets. Um, to me, it's, it's, uh, there's so much energy that he has in Mean Streets. But what I like about Taxi Driver, and the, it's the reason I brought up 1900, which is this sprawling, you know, I think like three and a half hour at least film, is that I feel that by the time 76 comes around and he's working with Scorsese again, it's a more mature actor. I mean, um, mm. Mean Streets, he pops. In this one, he is um, he's a savage in many ways, but also he's very subtle. What he doesn't say in, in Taxi Driver seems to me to be as important as the things we remember, like you looking at me and so forth. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, uh, about a week after I got the script, I got a call from one of Marty's assistants. He said, come in, and we would like you to record De Niro's part because De Niro's doing 1900. And I grew up in a little town in Nebraska, Obviously, Travis is from, I don't know, Michigan or something like that. And when I first read the script, I said, uh, it's, a con it's an amalgamation of the underground man and then uh, Bremer, you know, who's going to shoot, try to shoot 
the president, then shoots the guy down in South. Right. So it's those two ingredients went in there. I felt the Schrader put in there, mm -hmm. and then so De Niro, you know, he's a much slower. Uh, so anyway, I went in and I recorded all his lines. So he's a much slower, and he takes a lot in, and then he. It's almost like that strong, silent. Western hero. I right. mean, I'm not calling him a hero, mm -hmm. even though at the end they try to make him that. Right. Uh, and then he unleashes all his fury at the end. Mm -hmm. So uh, walk us through that. I'm sorry. The, odds and in isolation. Too. Walk us through the technical aspect because you say you record his parts. You're recording. You're saying the audio so that it'll pace the other actors. No, or? no. I, I just I recorded uh, his because I'm from the Midwest. Denaro's from New York City. So and I'm not saying I'm the only one. I don't know about that. But so De Niro could listen to my accent oh, while he's in Italy uh, doing 1900 oh, because wow. you know Travis is from the upper Midwest, right? Right. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. Well, so that's well, a that's that's pretty awesome. That's a by the way, that's I, th great. That's a film I'll watch when I'm depressed, just to feel <laughs> more depressed, to really sort of embrace the depression. But I remember mm -hmm. um, finding the hallway of that was supposed to be. Bickle. Well, I lived in New York for a while. Finding um, in Dave Letterman's theater, there's a hallway that Martin Scorsese used, and it's like there's it, like like Woody Allen. There's such a joy in finding the little places. Our our grandmother was a was a, a through and through San Franciscan, and when she was about in her seventies. One of our parents got her a book of great doorways of San Francisco, but they covered doorways. up all the addresses, and with about a 90% accuracy rate, she could tell you what door that was. And yeah. it, that was like her, you know, that she loved the city. And with Scorsese, and, and people like him, Woody Allen, I think, too, you uh, get to see not just the classic New York that's used as the landscape of New York films, but these little nooks and crannies that, that characterize... Oh the, yeah, the, the, like, the well, it, like if you take a look at uh, particularly in like Mean Streets when Johnny Boy is running away, like near the end of the movie he's yeah. trying to avoid Michael and he's running through these alleys and it's like he's been doing it his entire life because of course he had been basically these in these alleys for his entire life. It was beautifully captured. One thing was I, I don't know if this is true or not, but in terms of Mean Streets you have those two characters Johnny Boy and Charlie, mm -hmm. right? Two two of one almost, right? Uh -huh. And then almost like Breathless by Godard. Uh, at the end of the movie, Godard step, steps into the movie, and with a gun, he shoots Belmondo, who's the hero, or anti-hero, whatever you want to call him, running yep. down the street. And in Mean Streets, Scorsese, he's a writer, director, and he's in the back seat, and then he kisses the gun, and then he shoots, you know, the first person, so to speak. So the third, per he steps in, becomes a third person, the first person, or third person kills the first person. Right. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and wow. Scor Scorsese, we forgot to mention, appears, I think, as Keitel's, um in, in Mean Streets. As his muse or his yeah. inner dialogue. That's, yep. that's Scorsese's voice, obviously. And then he appears, obviously, as a, as a passenger um, in Taxi Driver who's, who's you know, seen his wife. A little upset about his wife a little bit. Fooling around a little bit. Well, that was because what happened was there's a guy, George Memoli, who was the big heavy guy in the, in the uh, pool hall in Mean Streets. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's trucking company, comedian. Mm -hmm. And then he was doing a movie in the Philippines right before that. And he was supposed to play that passenger. And he, and it was, he gets in the in the picture. It was, wow. He, okay. gets, he gets pulled back. He gets shot. He gets pulled back. He misses the mattress. So he, his head hits the concrete. So he cracked his skull and his brain swole up. So he couldn't do the picture, obviously. He was dead for seconds. Oh, wow. Uh, I worked with him later on in Blue Collar. But um, anyway, so Marty had to step in and do that pic that part. Mm -hmm. Wow! Wow! 
Very cool. What a different scene that scene would have been, too. <laughs> Holy moly. No okay. question about it. What, what's, what's your favorite uh, Martin Scorsese film? Mean Streets. It is Mean Streets. Yeah, I love that. To me, it's like a perfect little jewel, and it just... Uh, it's like almost indie, indie movie making at, at some of its finest right there. Yeah. I th- you know, one thing I remember, I was invited to Columbia uh, to see a, a cut of, mean, of Taxi Driver right before I went to the movie theater, and there were a lot of big-name people there, and I remember sitting there watching it, and after the movie, I was stunned because I think that the direction in Taxi Driver was so superlative, the way he cut through, because he could have could have really loaded that film down with hookers and pimps and, yeah, sure, you know, sure. street life. Yeah. But he really streamlined that film beautifully. It is a beautiful film. Yeah, it really is. And, I mean, obviously, um, De Niro gets credit for, for his tremendous... Travis Pickle, of course. Tra- but there's also Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster, Sybil Shepard, who... I mean, other than uh, Last Picture Show, I think those are her, the two films, the gems, the Sybil Shepherd gems. Yeah, right. Well, Harvey, also the way Harvey Keitel. Yeah. Oh yeah, Harvey. Yeah, movie, it was well, it's Harvey as, as Sport. He. he yeah. And if you oh, ever yeah. saw the original script, he created a lot that wasn't in the script. Mm-hmm. And also, just one last thing about Scorsese's uh, cinematography in Means or Taxi Driver, the way he shot those guns. There were like 35 or 36 setups in that one day on a real hot day. Oh yeah. Uh, it, was, it was really essential, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Very cool. Well, Mr. Northup. Wow. Thank you for spending time yeah, with us. It was a pleasure. Really, really appreciate Super it. duper grateful. Thank My you pleasure. so much. Thank we you. should mention before before I cut the mic here uh, that we're at the Peddler's Fork in Calabasas. So we want to thank those good folks for... I didn't even know this was in California. <laughs> ...for letting us be here and talk to the great Mr. Harry Northup. Thank you, sir. Uh, thank, thank you, you sir. Joseph, and thank you very much. Tom. Thank you very pleasure. much. Pleasure. All right. Tom, you got any business? Nah. Check me out at TomSmithComedy.com. And if you want to send us an email at finleysonfilm at gmail.com. Please do. If you like what we do, this type of thing, you can become a Patreon subscriber at the $5 per month level and have access to the Patreon-only episodes, archives, and two new ones a month. And if you don't like what we do, go check out Important Cinema Club. Thank you. Hey, Tom, I have a question for you. Yeah. You looking at me? Huh? Are you looking at me? No. 